the contestant who can best misuse scripture to mean whatever they want. <laughs> Let's meet our contestants. She's a no-nonsense mother of three who believes she knows everything about the Bible. Welcome, Helen! Going up against her today is this confused man. Say hello to Doug! I'm not really sure why I'm here. Time for our first challenge. Take any verse out of context. Helen! John 14, 13, Jesus said, whatever you ask in his name, he will give to you. So if you don't get what you want, then that means that my faith is better than yours. Ah, John 14, 13, just got Helen 14.13 points. <laughs> that brings us to our first break. But there'll be more twisted right after this 34-minute commercial. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we are starting our brand new series, Twisted, this morning. And uh, I told my wife last week, it was kind of funny, uh, the first time you guys saw that little video, um, some of you didn't know what to do. Uh, some of you wanted to laugh, but then you didn't know, am I supposed to laugh at this? But it seems like I should laugh at this. Just here's my rule of thumb. If it's funny laugh okay like it's okay like you can laugh in church it's all good uh, this morning we are starting this new series and what we're going to be doing is over the next four weeks uh, we're going to be taking some very popular bible passages and verses and looking at what do they really mean like what are we actually seeing the word of god say here and what we're going to do is talk about some verses that have most likely been misused by a lot of people whether in the church or out of the church we're going to talk about a lot of different passages that are very commonly used. Uh, sometimes around this time of year, you'll be signing a graduation card, okay? And you'll put your name at the end and you'll throw a verse on the end. And it's usually a verse that says, like, my God shall supply all your need in Christ Jesus, okay? Or I'm not quoting the verse right, but basically that's the idea there. That my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus, okay? And you'll throw that on the card. Now, you're telling the graduate that, saying God will provide all that you need. And he's, he's got all the money. He's got all the wealth. And so he'll give you what you need as far as financial provision for college. He'll help you pay for your college and all of that. Okay, that's what we mean when we do that. There's a little bit of an issue, though. When you look at that passage, it's written to a church in the context of missions giving. And what the Apostle Paul was saying was, because you've given so much to my mission and so much to what God's work is, is hoping to accomplish, you've given out of all of your financial resources, you've emptied your bank accounts basically, you've drained out, you've given out of your uh, lacking, not out of your abundance, because you've done all that, my God will supply all your need. So when you think about that, it doesn't really fit at the end of a graduation card. But we throw it on there. Why? Because it sounds good. It sounds loving. It sounds encouraging. And so this series is all about understanding how can I understand the Bible? How can I make sure? And we're going to get into when you talk about people that say, well, what if you disagree with somebody on this or that passage or this or that verse? We'll talk about that. Okay? It doesn't mean you can't have discussions and have, and have healthy debates about topics, but we're going to look at what are the general rules and principles that we need to understand to understand Scripture. Because if we don't approach Scripture looking to understand it correctly, we can apply it in a lot of very strange and misleading ways. I'm so excited because I truly believe that many people want to use the Bible and look to the Word of God for help, encouragement, and do it in a way that would honor God. But unfortunately, many of us haven't stopped to take the time to study the passage. To say, what does this really mean? We all know people like this, by the way, that just want to throw a verse around. We all know people that just quote verses and they'll just use it for whatever fits the situation. Some of you have parents that are like this, grandparents maybe. Um, a lot of you have people that use the Bible in, in very interesting ways and just throw a verse on something, whether it fits or not. Somewhat like this woman here. 
Oh, I was gonna go to Macy's, but Dillard's is having a sale. Man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. Look at these purses. Excuse me, this is fashion now? Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, Spencer's gifts? Mm-mm, guard your heart. Finish line? Oh, yes, run the race I have set before you. 30% off all things work together for good. Oh, would you look at these here? Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Uh, no thank you, I don't need any skincare samples. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, there Starbucks, thank heavens, streams in the desert. Look at these watches for such a time as this. Look at all this baggage. No, thank you. I have left my burdens at the cross. Oh, I love this bedding. Yes, all who are weary, he will give you rest. Look at these knives. These are perfect. Iron sharpens iron. Oh, man does not live by bread alone. Hey, Adam, you want to take a bite of this? Mm-mm, man's original sin. Microsoft only for me, thank you. Oh, Lululemon, he will not tempt you beyond what you can handle. Oh, Zales, absolutely not. My treasure is in heaven. Payless is having a sale. Lead me not into temptation. Oh, judge all you want to. You without sin cast the first stone. Oh, love this hat. Look at this. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. I will dwell in the Nestle Toll House of the Lord forever. I come all the way in here for a sale and they don't have my size. Jesus, please, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I don't know if you guys have heard of him before. That's John Christ. And uh, the video is called uh, Lady Who Has a Bible Verse for Everything. And so I, I saw that a, a while ago, and I just had to share it uh, in this series. And so I think my favorite, favorite one is the, the Apple comment about the original sin and all that. I thought that was pretty good. All you Microsoft people were like, yeah, get them, yeah. Jesus uses Mac, yeah. Um, anyway, so... Did you catch what I said that Jesus uses Mac? Anyway, not Microsoft. Anyway, so, um, so when you think about that, though, we can all laugh at that. But some of you know people, or you've had somebody do this to you. They'll give you a verse, and you're like, oh, okay. What does that even mean? No joke. I had a conversation with a guy this week. It was such the, the, just a God thing. We had some issues with our Internet. Okay, so we had to kind of make some changes over and stuff. Um, and so this technician comes out from this uh, Internet company. And as we're talking, if you guys have been in our office, the church office, there's this little room. It's like a storage room. Okay, it's got filing cabinets and bookshelves, or I mean uh, some shelving and some countertops in there. And it's kind of a small space. And that's where all the internet stuff is. So he's in there, and he's on the top of the, the filing cabinet with his laptop doing some stuff to the internet. Well, I'm in that room too using our paper slicer thing to cut some things. We're literally like two feet apart, okay? I don't know this guy. We just met. And he all of a sudden looks at me and says, you know, he says, what kind of church is this? Because he was putting some information in the computer. I said, oh, it's, it's a Baptist church. And he's like, okay. And he's typing in there. And he said, uh, he said yeah, I've, I've tried Baptist. I've tried, you know, Methodist. I've tried Pe Presbyterian. I've tried every church you can think of. And I just haven't found one that I like. Then he said, or one that I agree with. And I thought, over 300 different various denominations. And you can't find One? That kind of concern, I kind of thought, well, maybe the churches aren't the problem. Maybe it's something else. So we got talking and stuff. You know what he said? He said, I just don't know why everybody thinks they're the, they have the right one. Why they think they're right. I mean, who's to say? If you were born in Iraq, you would be a Muslim, not a Christian. That's just how it is. It's cultural. It's just cultural. And if you were born in some tribe in Africa, you'd be that tribe. You'd be that religion. I mean, how do we really know that there's really one truth out there. How do we really know this? I mean, what's the difference between the Bible and the Quran? And for the next, like, 45 minutes, and I'm telling you right now, we were just talking about this recently, and I think it was Tuesday night at Addictions, that we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. And I was not expecting this guy to talk about this. I wasn't looking for it. My I mean, I was making small talk with him. I'm just cutting up these flyer things, making small talk. I wasn't going to be like in his face, oh, Jesus, you need to get saved and receive the God and all that. Because it was just not the, the context I thought it would be a good time. This guy's doing a job. He's there being paid to work. I'm not going to waste his time, if, in his opinion, waste his time if, if he doesn't want to talk. You know, it's amazing. With my back to him, as soon as he said that... There was this thought that ran through my mind. You've ever had this moment? And you think, okay, I've got two options. I either say, 
well, yeah, we're all looking for something. We're all on a journey. Something kind of, you know, succinct and simple, and we just kind of move the conversation along. Or I could turn around and say, well, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That all religious books aren't equal in truth. There's only one truth. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you might think, oh, as a pastor, you never struggle with that, do you? Really? I struggle with it all the time. I, my first thing I thought was, well, if I do that, if I say that, he's just going to be like, yeah, whatever. And you know what? I turned around, and that's exactly what I said. And he looked at me, and he said, now that's interesting. He said, well, let's talk about that. And for 40 minutes, we, I mean, while he was doing his job and I was doing my thing, we're just talking and talking and talking and talking. And I kept going back to the Word of God. Because see what he was saying was, he said, I can't find a church. I don't like the church. There's a lot of churches that say this and churches that say that and churches that say this. But you know what I had to get him to? Stop talking about church. Let's talk about the Word of God. And I kept saying, you know, but the Bible says this. Yeah, but the Bible says that. And I told him, I said, you're never going to find a perfect church. I heard, I was just listening to a sermon by Billy Graham from like the late 50s, early 60s. And he said, you know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it, okay? There is no such thing. And so what do people do in our country? They look at the church as a representation of Christ. Hmm, maybe that's why Jesus said, hey, church, live in such a way that glorifies the Father in heaven. Let your good works be fruits of the Holy Spirit. Because this church, whether we agree with it or not, whether we look for it or not, represents Jesus Christ. And people will come in these doors, and if you're visiting this morning, I pray, if you're new to our church, I pray that we're making an impression on you of Jesus Christ. I pray that you're sensing and feeling his love, hearing the truth of the gospel, and knowing that he loves you and cared for you, sent his son to die for you. And I pray that if you're new to our church, or maybe you've been here for years, that you know that's what our church is about. But this guy was all about what does the church say? What does the church do? And he said, you know, one thing I struggle with is when people say they're Christian, but they don't seem to love others like I think Christ would. He told me this story about some guy he met in California, some surfing, yoga, surfing, or, uh, what was he, a youth pastor, meditation guru guy. I don't know how that exists, but in California you can be anything. Okay? And he said, you know what made me really begin to like, listen to this guy and want to learn from this guy? Was that he prayed for me. He just prayed for me. And he was asking questions about what could he pray for for me. And then he would pray those things, and it was crazy how God would begin to answer his prayers. John chapter 14, in verse 13. This is where we're going to start this morning. We need to understand, what does the Bible really teach in certain areas? I want to focus on a verse that has been truly taken out of context by many and actually calls people to doubt God and his ability to answer our prayers. John 14, 13, look what it says there. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If, you sh or if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. True or false, Jesus uses the word anything. He says, ask anything in my name. Is that what Jesus said? It's 100% what he said. So therefore, some will say, wow, I can ask anything, and Jesus has to do it. I can ask for a million dollars in Jesus' name, and he has to answer. Because it says right there in the Bible, you shall ask anything in my name. And I will do it. Man, what an amazing, amazing open door. I can ask anything of Jesus and he'll do it. Can I really ask anything of God and he will do it? What a great deal for us, right? That's a good deal. Think about anything. Just let your mind go to anything for a second. Don't be spiritual and think, oh, I wish that all the, the needy people will be clothed. Okay, no, no, be real. If you could ask anything of God, some of you are like, I'd like a bigger house. I'd like a nicer car. 
I'd like a little bit more in my bank account. I'd like a boat. I'd like to have this dream or that dream. Some of us, we pray our dreams, and we actually get frustrated when God doesn't listen. We ask of God to do something, and he doesn't listen. And so we look at this verse, and we say, but it says I can ask anything in his name. He must not love me then. If he's not doing it, he must not love me. Or he can't do it. Do you see how quickly misunderstanding a simple verse like this can lead people to stopping praying? Why pray? I prayed. I asked in his name. He didn't do it. He must not be able to. So I'm not going to ask him anymore. Or he does it for other people. Why doesn't he do it for me? He must not love me as much as them. My faith must not be as strong as their faith. Before we break this passage down, I want to establish a couple basic principles in Bible study. Just a couple guidelines that we will use for the next four weeks to help us understand how not to misapply Scripture. The first thing we have to understand in interpreting the Bible, in your notes there, it says how to interpret the Bible in your handout. Let me say this too. If you miss something in a handout, please see me after. Please talk. I want you to take this stuff home. Okay, because I truly believe the vast majority of Christians in our nation are not um, unable to understand Scripture. I believe it's a lack of effort, <laughs> a lack of application. God gives us His Spirit through Christ. We can know His Word. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have questions, but if you know the author of the book and He indwells you personally, then He will enlighten your mind to what the Scripture says. But he asks us to do a little, th- a little bit to kind of get to that point. He asks us to study, to put in the work, to read it. So how to interpret the Bible? First and foremost, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the context. This is fundamental to the correct understanding of the text. The verses before and after will give you the best way to view an individual verse or wording used in that verse. For example, there are some verses that use a word that has two different definitions. Might be similar definitions, but two different definitions nonetheless. And then how do you know, well, which definition do I apply? Which definition fits this verse and this passage? We have to read the chapter, read the text, read the the whole book that it's in. Understand what is going on before and after and what makes the most common sense to fit what's being talked about. We have to do these things to understand context. The verse before and the verse after will help give you insight into that. You may make the Bible, and you can make the Bible, say whatever you want, by the way. It's amazing. You can take one verse over here and one verse over here, put them together, and create a whole doctrine, a whole belief, a whole teaching. And at the end of it, you can say, well, the Bible says. The Bible says, so it must be true. For example, the Apostle Paul says that when you get married to your spouse, you become one And then in other passages, he says, I beat my flesh daily. So one could come to the conclusion that then you can go home. Well, you see where I'm going with this. The Bible said we're one flesh, and Paul beat his flesh daily. So I'm just saying, if the Bible says it, amen and amen, we must apply it. Kidding, of course. That's going to get on the recording. Pastor John said you could beat your spouse. I'm not going to that church. Why is he talking to himself on the stage? Um, We have to understand the context of the passage. What's going on in the passage? What's going on in the chapter? Some things you can ask yourself as you're trying to understand the meaning of a text. Who wrote what you're reading? Who's the author of the letter? For example, if it's the book of Romans, the author is the Apostle Paul. The book of James is the, James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He's understand, you understand who's writing these passages? Who's the author of these books? Who received it? Who's the audience that's receiving this letter or this book? Um, for example, Matthew's gospel has been written primarily to Jewish readers. So when you read so much about the genealogy of Christ in the beginning of the book, and you read about, talk about the law, and about um, if you're heavy laden and, and have this burden on your shoulders, you can come to me and I'll give you rest. What was the burden he was talking about? It's not a hard Monday at your work, although we could apply it to understanding that we could still give that to Jesus. 
But the application, the true text means the weight of the law was on them so heavy. He says, give that to me. I've already fulfilled the law. Now you can live in my rest. And that just comes from just understanding who the original receivers of the letter were, who was written to. The Gospel of John is written to Gentile believers. So when you read the Gospel of John, you're going to see him explaining terms and words about Jewish feasts and festivals. Why does he do that? Because a Gentile like me wouldn't understand what those feasts are. That's why he explains it the way he does. Understanding who wrote it, who's receiving it. Um, What's the theme is there a general theme in the chapter or in the book? Is there some kind of a, an, a theme verse that's repeating itself throughout the whole chapter? These kind of things, just stepping back and kind of taking a bigger look at Scripture will help you to understand the context of the verse. Understanding context, letter B, we interpret Scriptures with other Scriptures. If you're trying to figure out what a verse means, and it's a little more of a complicated passage, Do a little study and say, okay, is there anywhere else in the Bible this topic is talked about? Is there anywhere else this is being dealt with? And I can go to that passage, and it will help me to understand this other passage. We allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. The Bible never contradicts itself on any subject ever. There's no contradictions in the Bible. I've had people tell me that. Well, the Bible contradicts itself, and it's amazing. When I say, show me, they'll go, well, I've never actually read the Bible. Hmm. Okay, so how do you know it contradicts itself? Well, so-and-so told me that there's contradictions in the Bible. As far as I know, and the studying I've done of the Bible, any seeming contradictions can be explained when understanding the context, understanding the passage. All Scripture is true. All Scripture is true. We cannot make one passage say this and another say that and it contradict each other. They have to work together. If you believe a passage is teaching a certain truth, but it goes against the weight of Scripture or the vast majority of verses that have a clear understanding, step back, time out, and maybe I'm not understanding this verse the right way. Does that make sense? For example, in the book of James, it talks about, show me your faith by your works. But the Apostle Paul said in the book of the Romans that we're saved by grace and not by works. Over and over again. So who's right and who's wrong? Is James wrong? Because he said, show me your faith by your works. No, understand context. They're actually saying the same thing. The Apostle Paul says, salvation begins in Christ and will produce good works. And James says, true faith in Christ by receiving him in his salvation will produce good works. They're saying the same thing. Paul's audience is written to, is trying to understand, it's not works first and then faith. James is talking to a church that thought they had faith without any fruit of the gospel. And he's trying to understand, you can't just say it, you got to live it. So very quickly, we can answer that seeming contradiction. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, every scripture in every form, The human authors were not inspired. That's another misconception we have. The ones who wrote, the human author who physically wrote the words, they are not inspired. The word of God is inspired. There's a difference there. The apostle Paul was not inspired in everything he wrote. The word of God was inspired when he wrote it down. The apostle Paul wrote other letters that are not in our scripture. They were not the word of God. See, the Apostle Paul wasn't this specific person that was specifically inspired to write these words. It was the Holy Spirit of God that filled Paul, gave him the words to say, and Paul wrote them. It was the Word of God that was inspired, not the author. We have to understand that it's the Holy Spirit moving upon these human authors. So we use context. We understand context. We interpret scriptures with other scriptures. And I know I'm going through this very quickly. But I want to get to the rest of the message, and if you have any questions, please see me. We'll go over this a little bit next week again. But then thirdly, to understand and interpret the Bible, we have to apply what you learn. Let me say that again. Apply what you learn. Most of us are pretty okay with context. Most of us are pretty okay with understanding Scripture for Scripture. But I think the majority of Christians truly struggle most with application. 
This is why Bible studies will be packed, but prayer meetings will be empty. Let me just say that again. This principle is, because, is the reason why Bible studies are packed. Teach me, teach me, teach me. Prayer meetings, application of God's truth is empty. I want that to sink in for a moment because this is an issue in church in America today. We have more Bible teaching and preaching available than ever before. You can go on your device right now and find any sermon by any speaker you want, whenever you want. Go to YouTube. I, I shared it before. It's so cool to go on YouTube and I'm, I look up old sermons by different speakers and it's so cool to, to listen to these messages. It's an, I can listen to a Billy Graham sermon from 1957 right now. It's available, and it's, there's so much Bible available, and I meet so many Christians who are like, well, I just want to study, I just want to study, I just want to study. That's great. What are you doing with what you've learned? How, what are you doing with this? Any of you ever have a sponge you leave next to your sink for just a little too long? Used it just a little too much? How's that baby smell? Mmm, delicious. Right? Why? Because that water is just stagnant. And I know this is a common illustration, but I'm telling you, why is it not sinking in? Not just for you, for me. I struggle with application. I've had people tell me, oh, well, I don't know, you know, uh, this whole 45-minute prayer meeting thing, I just don't think that's for me, brother. I need more Bible study. I get that. I'm not against Bible study. I love Bible study. I just, I had a chance to have a conversation with somebody just recently. I told him, honestly, I could talk Bible for hours. I love it. I love it. I love discussing the truth of Scripture. It just, nothing brings me more joy. But if all I did was study and never apply, I'm not much like Jesus. I'm sounding a lot more like a Pharisee. You know what's amazing? Just a side note. Just think real quick in your mind all the times the Bible talks about praying together, praying for the church, praying as the church. All the epistles that Paul writes where he says, I'm praying for you daily. Acts chapter 4 talks about when Peter was released from prison, he went to the church where they were praying for him collectively. Prayer was a vast part of the New Testament church. It's all over Scripture. Very few verses actually say study the Bible. In fact, there's only the, one, the only one that uses the word study is in Timothy. Study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I know so many Christians that will study and 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 debate and debate and debate and listen and listen and listen and do nothing. You know these, we all fall into this trap. This isn't like some foreign principle. We're like, oh, I don't, I don't even understand that. We understand it. Why? Because we do understand context. We interpret scriptures of scriptures, but then we apply what we learn. Apply, apply the truth of scripture to your life. Bible study that is not applied practically to our lives is just knowledge of God, not an active relationship with him. So let's apply these principles to the verse that we started with this morning. Let's get back to that verse in John. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. I do not believe that Jesus was saying he is at our command. Look at the verse again and listen to how one translation says it. It really just changes two words kind of in there a little bit. It says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now that we understand context a little bit, does that, does that help you a little bit to understand, man, what is Jesus really saying here? Is he really saying he's just a genie, like from Aladdin, and all I got to do is just give that lamp a little rub, and he'll just poof, and do whatever I want? Or is it saying that when you're focused on me, and you're focused on my kingdom, and you pray, and you ask, and I see God is going to be glorified in the prayer, then I will answer it. The book of John was written. The whole focal point of the book of John is the cross. 
in the Gospel of John, we read more about the crucifixion than any other Gospel writer. In the book of John, the key verse, the key passage talks about, I'm telling you this so that you will have faith and know that Jesus died for you and know that you have eternal security. I want you to know these things. So when Jesus is saying here, ask anything in my name so that the Father will be glorified, what do you think the greater context is in declaring the gospel of Christ, in making his name known? So when we pray, there's some key things that God wants us to focus on in our prayer. The goal of him answering our prayers is ultimately the glory of God. God is the one who is central here. So we have to ask a key question before we pray in Jesus' name. What is God concerned with when I pray? Do you ever think about this? When you say in Jesus' name, you're telling God, Jesus would agree with everything I just prayed. If that doesn't make you stop and consider just for a second what you just prayed, when you put Jesus' name on the end, you're declaring, Jesus, I believe, based on my knowledge of you and your word, and by the moving of the Holy Spirit, I believe that you would be in complete agreement with what I just prayed. And if you're not, would you change me? It's not that we make him change to our needs. And so what is God concerned with when we pray? What matters to God when we pray? Number two in your notes there, what matters to God when we pray? Let's move through this quickly. And I know we're, we're running short on time, but I want to make sure we get through this this morning. What matters to God when we pray? Well, first of all, your relationships matter. Your relationships matter. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. If I can get there. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. <clears throat> this is in context of relationship written to the early church. Listen to what Peter says here in chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Think about that for a second. What matters to God when we pray? According to 1 Peter 3, 7, how you treat your spouse matters. Here's the reality of this verse. When you think about this, it's not just, the principle is not just in husband and wife and wife to husband, it's in relationships. Jesus' point here, or God's point here rather, is that when we pray, if we have discord or, or issues between us and another person, we have to take care of that because our very prayers can be hindered. If I am not right with others, my heart will not be right with him. But when I am right with him, I can be right with others. Mark eleven twenty four 24 to 25 says, Therefore, Jesus speaking, I tell you, all things you pray and ask and believe that you have received them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Here we see again this connection between prayer and relationships. Prayer and how we have interactions with other people. And if you have hardness in your heart and bitterness towards somebody else, it's going to be really hard to pray in a loving way, full of the Spirit. What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments were in all of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament? Love God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. And I find it true that when I have hardness in my heart towards somebody else, I really struggle with loving him with all of me. Because if I love him with all of me, can I really have hardness in my heart for someone else? No. It's impossible. Man, loving him with everything, your heart, mind, body, and soul. And if we have that relationship and we're intimate with that relationship, and none of us are perfect, by the way, we're going to stumble. But when you stumble, you remind yourself who he is and his love, and then you're able to forgive others as he's forgiven you. To me, this verse, when I came across this verse years ago, it made me strongly evaluate how I deal with, with my wife, with Sandra. It made me strongly evaluate the words I use when talking to my spouse. Also, just know there, it says in there, weaker vessels. 
This is not weaker as in uh, unable to do or, or too weak to get by on their own. It's not a derogatory term. It's a term of saying that we need to come alongside them and support and encourage them and love on them and be their strength, be their rock. That's our job as husbands. So husbands, self-check. You're struggling. You're worrying. Like, God, why don't you answer my prayers? How are you dealing with others? How do you deal with your wife? Man, I've met so many guys that talk a big game but go home and treat their wives like crap. And then they wonder, man, why God isn't doing, why isn't God using me? Why isn't God speaking to me like he once did? Because your relationships matter. Quickly, moving forward. Letter B. Your motives matter. Your motives matter. James chapter 4 and verse 3. James chapter 4 and verse 3. bringing your Bible with you this morning. Let me just tell you, if you ever are sitting there next to someone and you're having a hard time finding a passage, don't freak out. Don't get embarrassed. Imagine you have to find that passage in front of everybody looking at you. So just so you know, we all struggle, okay? James chapter 4 and verse 3. Some of you used a device. That's cheating. Um, oh, drop-down menu. Look, they're all there, Okay. Um, some of you have tabs in your Bible that's still cheating. Okay, James chapter 4, verse 3. We're going to do like a sword drill one Sunday. You guys remember those? I'm going to hold it there because you had to hold your Bible up. Some of you guys would cheat when you were in like junior church at VBS. You'd find it and go like, yeah, I got my Bible. And you hold it like this. Do you ever have the guy that tried to do it like this? You had to hold it like that. You guys remember that one? You had to find it real quick. We're going to do that next week. See how many of you guys can do it. Okay, we're, we're distracted. Way off course. Verse 3. Not only do your relationships matter, but your motives matter. Verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Man, what is James saying here in the context of this whole chapter? It's powerful. He's writing some real truths to the early church. He's talking about your words and how you, how you speak to others. He's talking about how you treat other people. And then he gets to chapter 4 and he talks about, man, your very motives, the heart of the matter. You're praying for something, but why are you praying for it? Just to have it? Just to consume it? To use it up so that you can have something? Man, tell me that's not a problem in America today. Marketing and advertising based solely on your internal desire to want more than the neighbor. To think you earned it. I mean, I deserve this. I work hard. And we pray. And then we wonder, man, God, why haven't you given me that? Because he knows your heart. Go back to John 14, 13. What's the point of our prayer? To glorify the Father. Man, if he knows your heart is just to consume it on your own lust, why would he do that? Because you know what? It's not loving for him to do that because it doesn't help you grow in Christ. It hinders your walk in Christ. So why would a loving Heavenly Father do that? Why do you want God to answer that request? In prayer, the motives of our heart is vastly important. Proverbs 16, verse 2 says this, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes or sights, but the Lord weighs the motives. The word weighs here in Proverbs 16, 2 means to measure or to test and prove. The King James uses the word spirits at the end of Proverbs 16.2, which includes, but is not limited to, their motives, their hearts, their thoughts. The idea here is a cultural one, where a person's heart is weighed against the truth after death. One author said it this way, God alone is the true evaluator of human action, a reality the wise recognize. That guy I was telling you about this week that I met, he shared something with me. I said, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. What can I pray for you about when we were all done with our conversation? He didn't come to know Christ in that moment, uh, but I pray seeds were planted. But I asked him, what can I pray for you about? And he said, well, you know, it's crazy. I've, been, I've only really prayed for one thing for myself. He said, I never pray for myself. Now, he doesn't understand the lack of relationship and all of that, but I'm not going to get into that right there. It's not needed at that moment. But he said, I've only ever prayed for one thing for myself. I want to write two books. 
I want to write a couple books. I've always wanted to be an author. And I said, really? Wow, that's crazy. I said, what do you, you want to write about? And he said, well, maybe that's why he's not answering it, because it's like this fictional religious thing or something, I don't know, some religious fiction novel, but not based on any real religion. And he said, maybe he doesn't want me to write something like that. Maybe that's why he's not letting me do it. He doesn't even know James 4.3. And I said, you know what, man? I said, God is very much concerned with your heart in prayer. I said, so I would do this. Why don't you just begin to pray and say, God, would you just show yourself to me? Would you just open my heart to me? And I said, and let him lead you. I truly believe the minute he bows his head in sincere faith and says, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, would you just speak to me? I truly believe the Holy Spirit will begin to surround him with individuals or bring the word of God before him in some way, shape, or form. I believe God's going to work until this man breathes his last breath that he would come to know Christ. But it amazed me. This guy thought, man, it's my dream to do this. And yet, he understood. I wonder if we understand. Man, why did you pray for that? What's your goal in that? So your motives matter. Number three, quickly. We got to fly. Your faith matters. Your faith matters. James 1 verse 6. James chapter 1 and verse 6. Relationships matter. Motives matter. Your faith matters. 1.6 says this, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever just go through a day and you get to the end of the day like, wow, I was just a wave pushed all over the place? Nobody's ever felt that way? I felt that way before. Yeah, amen. I think we all have days or weeks or months like that. We're just like, really, one more thing? Come on. We feel this way. It goes on to say in verse 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Man, your faith matters. Prayer is the outward expression of our internal faith in him. Matthew 9, 29-30 says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. We may pray for one thing with complete faith, believing God can do it, and yet another doubting. So what does James mean here about asking faith, nothing wavering? Let me just be clear. The only man in Scripture with perfect and complete faith was Christ alone. No human being has ever had complete, 100% true faith other than Christ as a human being because we're, we're born with a disadvantage. We have weaknesses. So we may have seasons of great faith and seasons of doubt. Seasons of great faith that last longer and then a stumble in a season of doubt. We all can fall into these cycles. So what does James mean here? I don't believe James is saying that if you ever doubt, you should immediately believe God is not going to listen to you. What I believe he is saying is he's saying take your doubts to Christ in faith. And believe that he can do what is requested of him even if you have doubts. What did the man ask of Jesus in the Gospels? I believe you can do all things, but help me with my unbelief. He admitted openly, I have unbelief. But what did he do with his unbelief? In faith, gave it to Christ. So he asked all things in faith. He's even saying, I'm giving you my weakness. I'm giving you my doubts. When we're wavering, it's though we're saying, God, I believe. God, I don't believe. God, I believe. God, I don't believe. God, I believe. God, I don't believe. And we never surrender the doubts to him. We pray a request, and then when he answers it, we're blown away because we didn't really believe he could do it. I think that's just a sign of his common grace. That's just him being gracious to be gracious, showing us we can trust him and believe in him. So again, if you pray for something and God doesn't answer it, don't instantly think, I don't have enough faith. There's more situations. Maybe you need to understand, what's the motive of my prayer? What's my relationships like right now? Am I asking, believing God can do all of this? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. Am I truly asking in faith, believing God can do all things? But what if you pray with godly motives while in the right relationship with others, and you're praying in faith, and God still says no? Is it a lack of faith that is the problem? That brings us to the last point in your notes. Relationships matter, motives matter, faith matters, but fourthly, God's will matters. God's will matters. First John, go over to First John chapter 5. 
1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Verse 14 of 1 John chapter 5 says this. And this is the confidence that we have in him. There's a confidence. There's, there's a reason why he's writing it. He wants us to have a confidence. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What's the key there? He wants to do whatever we ask of him, but there's a key in the text we have to understand, according to his will. You may ask in, in, in great faith. You may ask with relationships being resolved to the best of your knowledge. You may ask with the right motives, desiring God to be glorified in the situation, and he says no or not yet. Then what do we do? We don't give up. We don't think he can't. We just must believe then. Well, you must have something different in mind. You must have something else in mind other than what I can even comprehend because you are God and I am not. Your ways are far above my ways. So I'm just going to surrender to your will and if you want to do it, praise God. And if you choose not to, praise God. See, sometimes we have to remind ourselves he is not the genie in the lamp. He is God. He is in control. He is sovereign. And so at the end of the day, I trust his goodness. Listen, some of you are moms and dads or grandma and grandpas, and you know when your kid or your grandchild asks for Skittles 10 minutes before dinner, they have the right motives, their heart's right, they're in good relationship with their brother or sister, they're, they're having a good day, you want to bless them with Skittles because who doesn't love a good Skittle every now and then? But you realize this is not the right time for Skittles. I know, when is it never not a good time to have Skittles? But at this time, as a parent, five minutes before dinner's done, no Skittles. So your will is, I want to give you Skittles. I love that you like Skittles. Here, here's a whole 10-pound bag of Skittles. Don't do that. Okay, here's a bunch of Skittles, okay? The child would die of a shock in like five seconds, okay? But can you just, can you understand? I'm good and I, I love you as my son or my daughter, I want to bless you with the Skittles, but it's just not time. But if you're patient and you trust and you believe I'm good, man, watch later when it's time, I'll give you those Skittles. Or maybe in your application for your life, you need to realize maybe you really didn't need what you prayed for. You ever have that happen? You ever pray something and God said, not yet? And six months go by and he answers it in a totally different way and you realize, oh, I didn't have to even pray this because you were already doing this. And I didn't even know about this, so now my prayer has changed. You ever have that happen? Oh, God, I'll tell you guys, it happened to me. I was blessed with a free car a couple weeks ago. Free car. We sold the vehicle, helped someone else out, said we'll save up some money for next year. And we were praying, God, just give us a year where we can just save up some money. God, give us a year where we can get the vehicle that we need next year. God, provide for that. We weren't even thinking the other way. God blesses us, and we realized, <laughs> okay, God, you don't need to answer those requests now because you've already done this. I mean, do you see how God is? And here's the thing. What if he never gave me any of it? I still got to trust him because he is God. His glory is what matters, not mine. My comfort isn't central. His glory is central. And so this morning, I want you to realize when you go back to 1 John, or I'm sorry, John, chapter 14, verse 14. See what we come up with. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I hope that anything has changed from the beginning of the message. I hope now it's not just some selfish want. I hope now it's something that you believe would glorify God. Hopefully we understand that this is not a genie in the lamp type mentality but an opportunity to participate in the glorifying of our amazing God and Savior. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And here's my challenge for you this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ. You've received Christ as your Savior. You know him. But you stopped praying because he wasn't answering. 
You stopped praying because he wasn't doing what you thought he should do. You stopped praying because you doubted he could even do it because of your circumstance or your situation. Other people made decisions around you. You made decisions. And as a result of those, you saw things happen in your life that caused you to want to doubt God's ability to do what God can do. You prayed and you prayed and you prayed and it seemed like things only got worse and it caused you to doubt or question God's goodness, God's ability, God's strength, or God's wisdom. Then I want to challenge you this morning and encourage you as well that maybe this morning will be the morning that you let all of that go and you say, God, I'm sorry for drifting. I'm sorry for doubting. I pray that you would give me a newness in my faith. Revive the faith in me that I'll begin to pray again, believing you can do all things according to your will, that you would be glorified. Father, help me not to get distracted or discouraged by situations and circumstances because you are greater than everything I see around me. So I want to do this. I don't know if there's anyone here that would would testify of this, but with heads bowed and nobody looking around, I'm going to ask even those on the stage would not look around at this time. But if you are here and that's you, you stopped praying because something caused you. I don't know what it was, when it was, where you were in your walk, but something caused you or some things caused you to start doubting God and his ability to answer prayer. You begin to question whether he's really good or whether he really can or, or whatever it looked like. And you are desiring to change. You are desiring that God would give you a newness of your faith. I want to pray for you. So with absolutely nobody looking around, is there anyone that would say, pray for me, Pastor John? That's me. Something caused me to stop praying, believing God could do all things. And I want to get back to believing God is truly who he says he is. Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, that's me, Pastor John, would you pray for me? I see two hands over here on the left. Anyone else? Back there, amen. Anyone else? I want to believe God again. Amen, right here. I want to believe God again. Something caused me to doubt. Something caused me to question his goodness or whether he really could do it. And now I realize that maybe I was the one who needed to change some things. Anyone else? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, maybe you'd come to know him this morning. Ask him to do a great work in your life to show you the beauty of the cross. Believe on him and you will have eternal life. But those of you that raised your hands, those of you that didn't want to raise your hand but you're still kind of in that same boat, maybe you want to come forward and bow a knee and say, God, renew me. Renew my thinking. Help me to pray again, believing you can do all things according to your will. I want to take you at your word and grow my faith as I grow in the knowledge of God. Maybe you're here and you need to apply something he's already been teaching you. Apply something in the word of God he's shown you. And you want to come this morning, bow a knee and say, I'm committing to apply by your Holy Spirit's power and the grace that you give me. Apply what I've learned and not be just a Christian that learns and gains knowledge, but a Christian that's practical, that applies what I've learned and live it out to make a difference for your glory. Whatever it is God's doing, would you just respond to him? Father, bless now this time use this opportunity that we would respond to you and glorify your name and your name alone. Father, restore our faith in you. Renew our right thinking in us and draw us closer to the cross. Father, for those that are here in this room, don't let them be held back. Don't let them be afraid. Just let them step out by faith. Come and pray. Bend a knee. Commit again. Believe you can do all things and we'll glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as these guys lead us? Would you sing out this morning? But if you want to come and pray, don't even worry about anybody else. Don't look at anybody else. Don't think about them. As you come and pray, you say, God, I want to believe again. Grow my faith. Give me a right understanding. You come and pray. Maybe you need to put something in application. Come and respond this morning, and let's glorify him together.